If you have a look at the uh, green uh, weekly notice sheet that you'll have been given when you came in, you'll see that uh, I put a title on this morning's message of Can I be sure you're a Christian? Can I be sure you're a Christian? That's raised one or two interesting discussions this week from various people as I've been thinking about it and uh, talking about it, saying, have you got it right? Shouldn't it be, can I be sure I'm a Christian? Or, or can you be sure you're a Christian? And my answer is no. That is the question I want to ask this morning. Can I be sure you're a Christian? Isn't it God that judges whether we are right with him or not? Yes, it is. That's right. My judgment might be wrong. My assessment might be wrong as to whether you're a Christian. It might just be my bad judgment that's the problem. It could be that you're deceiving me and uh, behaving in a certain way which makes it look like you're a Christian, but in reality, in your heart, you're not right with God. That's possible. And in the judgment day, which is coming, the Bible warns of that, you won't have to answer to me. Each one of us will have to answer to God. When Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica, he's clear that they are Christians. Listen to what he says, uh, verse verse 1 again and verse 2. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember and see your work produced by faith, by faith in Christ. We see your labours, labours which are, are prompted by love, God's love for them but their love for God as well and their endurance which, endurance, which is inspired by hope that hope, that certainty that Jesus is coming again. Faith, hope and love. Three Christian virtues as they're often described. But these things are a summary of the evidence that someone is a Christian. Evidence of salvation. And these three things are often found together in the scriptures. Maybe a little thing to think about. I'm not going to go there now, but maybe you could talk to each other about it. Where else do we find these three things together in the Scriptures? There's a number of places in uh, the New Testament. I've got six listed in my notes here. A number of places where they're listed together, uh, these things. This book of 1 Thessalonians is one of the uh, oldest of the New Testament books, written uh, probably in AD 52, within about 20 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you go and look on a map, you'll find Thessalonica in modern-day Greece. And if you were to go there on holiday, which I imagine some of you uh, have done, if you go there to Greece, I'm sure that you'll find a warm welcome. But when Paul arrived in Greece, uh, in Thessalonica, it was very different. He went to the synagogue, a place where the, uh, the Jews would meet together to uh, uh, look at the scriptures and so on together. He went to the synagogue and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, showing them 
explaining and demonstrating and proving that Christ, that Jesus, Jesus Christ, had to suffer and rise from the dead. And that passage which Phil read for us tells us that some were persuaded, but many of them weren't. And in fact, it says that they were jealous. And then what happened is uh, these Jews, some of these Jews went out into the marketplace, rounded up a few of the local thugs, formed a mob and started a riot and then went to the city leaders and blamed Paul and Silas for causing this riot. This is the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. It's not some nice middle-class situation where let's just meet together and uh, uh, we'll start doing this together. This is the setting in which this church was born. And actually, it's the setting which the gospel, this good news of Jesus, advances across the world. It is so often surrounded by conflict and opposition and trials. This book of 1 Thessalonians tells us was written to those who are in Christ. Have a look in verse 1. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, to be in Christ, is often used through the scriptures. A Christian is not just someone who goes along to a church or is signed up to a certain set of beliefs or affirm a certain list of truths, but someone who is in Christ. Paul writes elsewhere, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. To have a a new life. To have life with God. To have everlasting life. Another description used here in this passage is those who are the the chosen ones. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And that's a description often used of those who are in Christ. One of the amazing things is that when we repent of our sin and the mess we've made of our lives and we turn from those and turn to Christ and trust in him, what we discover is that we are chosen. And that's the paradox that exists in the scriptures. On the one hand, God's sovereign choice, but alongside our our God-given responsibility to respond to that uh, gospel message. And Paul, as he writes to these Christians, says, we, we know that you're chosen, we know that you're in Christ, because we can see the evidence. Summarised there in those first verses, with their, um, uh, uh, their, their uh, work produced by faith, Labour prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. Summarised there in that. But then spelt out too in the rest of this passage. And um, I want to turn it into five questions this morning. Okay, coming back to that uh, first, uh, my title. Can I be sure you're a Christian? I want to turn these following verses into five questions. If you look on the sheet, you'll see I've got six points. I've actually combined two of them and uh, turned it into five questions 
for each one of us to think about in our hearts this morning. And my first one is this. Are you an imitator of Jesus? Are you an imitator of Jesus? Look at what Paul writes. Verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. It might look that, that, that like they were just imitators of, of, of Paul. Um, it might look like saying you need to be imitate the leaders, as it were. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. But do we just imitate Paul and leaders? It's not about following them, but it's about following them as they Follow the Lord. You see, Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. In Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 5, he writes, be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Being an imitator of God, being imitator of the Lord, being imitators of Jesus. Children, our theme for the holiday club coming up is superheroes. And, and I don't know a lot about superheroes, but maybe you do. And you have uh, different characters and superheroes that you like. And very often people want to be like those. But Jesus is the one who is the ultimate superhero. He is the one who we should imitate. He is the one that we should follow. How do we imitate Jesus? How do we be like him? Let me just make some brief suggestions on that. Firstly, by obeying God's word. By being obedient to God's word. Jesus did. Jesus went back to the Old Testament scriptures, which he had in that time, and was obedient to them. You see, if we want to be imitators of Jesus... We need to be listening to God's word. We need to read it. We need to love the scriptures so that we might love God. We need to muse on them. We need to work out how to obey God's word and live it out in our lives. We need to be like the, like the cow chewing the cud. Children, have you ever seen a, the cows out in the field and they sit there and they pull up the grass, rip it up and they chew it? and they chew it, and then they swallow it, and they bring it back up, and they chew it. I'm not encouraging you to do that, but but that's what they do. They ruminate. They're chewing the cud. They're getting all the goodness out of the grass so that they might benefit from it. And that's how we should be with the Word of God. Having that love for it, meditating on it, chewing it over so that we might imitate Jesus. We need to be obeying God's word. We need to be denying ourselves. Jesus did. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If we're going to imitate Jesus, we need to be denying ourselves. I know that goes against the culture, but that is what we should be doing and that is what we will be doing. We need to... We will be, if we're imitating Jesus, we will be humble. Jesus made himself of no reputation, becoming 
a servant, taking on himself the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. Do I behave in a way which is like Jesus? We need to be, how do we imitate Jesus? By making sacrifice. Jesus did. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that we might become the children of God. Are you an imitator of Jesus? And there's something maybe to discuss uh, in further detail, maybe over lunch or in the coming days ahead or afterwards. What does it look like to be an imitator of Jesus? But then secondly, there's something else that Paul sees, and uh, let me turn it into this question. Are you joyful in the Spirit of God? Are you joyful in the Spirit of God? In the second half of verse 6, it says this, in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian this morning, and right with God, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. You see, Paul says this gospel, um, this gospel came not just with, with words, but with power. The power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not some statement of words to be affirmed, but it's the power of God's Holy Spirit at work. Paul writes elsewhere, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to the salvation of all who believe. And if we are Christians and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us, then it should show. What does it look like? The work of the Spirit in us is to produce fruit. Galatians 5 has that 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 list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's the evidence that someone is a Christian, seeing that fruit in their lives. Growth in Christ is not measured by Bible knowledge, but it's measured by fruitful discipleship by godly living. And here, Paul says, in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful thing when you, when you see that, and you, you see it in someone else's life, there's a, there's a, a, a deep joy. Um, Richard, when he was speaking to the children, spoke about Johnny Erickson. She's someone who suffered immensely. But yet, if you've heard her speak, there is a deep joy in her life. That is the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in her life. The evidence that she is a Christian. When I was just, uh, I was just looking over this again last night and just thinking about this, this point about between joyful in the Spirit. Thinking, well, I, you know, who could I use an example of that? Uh, Jonathan Robinson, who some of you know, phoned, my phone, mobile phone rang and he was on the phone from Africa just for a catch-up. And some of you will know him, Jonathan Naomi, uh, serving in uh, Africa, uh, been there for a number of months. But not long after they went, uh, their little boy Micah fell, fractured his elbow, and within a few weeks of going, they had to get out of the country pretty quickly to get back here for surgery um, and had a real difficult and a tough time. But you know, Jonathan said this 
to me as we were talking. He said, it wasn't easy, but he said, it was worth it for the deepness of the joy we experienced. That's evidence of being a Christian. That deep joy which comes in difficult circumstances. Are you joyful in the Spirit of God? And then here's number three. Does the Lord's message ring out from you? Does the Lord's message ring out from you? Paul writes, verse 7, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore we need, do not need to say anything about it. Uh, these Christians were known, and they were known because they were Christians. Christians. The Lord's message rang out for them in Macedonia, and if you go and have a look at a map of Greece, and you look where Macedonia is, it's the northern part of Greece and beyond. And uh, if you go and look where uh, Achaia is, you go down to the south of Greece, and that's the southern part of um, Greece. And, uh, well, if that's not enough, it says everywhere. They were known for being Christians. They were a model of all believers. They're an example of what it is to live as a Christian. The Lord's message rang out from them, like a bell. And when a bell sounds, it's there to attract attention and there to hear. Have you ever been in town or even out of town when they're playing the carillon, that musical instrument inside the tower which is made of bells a fascinating place and well worth going to have a look at if you get the opportunity but when the bells sound it rings out and if we are Christians then that should ring out it should sound out around us now I'm not saying we should all be evangelists and we will all be evangelists and able to do it as others and uh, you know, and always having the right answer and all those things. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. But people should know that we are Christians. One of the wonderful things when you see someone who has trusted Christ is to see that change which takes place in their life. Sometimes they're not aware of it, but it's that change which comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, that new life in Christ. We might not always know what to say or how to say it. But if we are in Christ, it should show in some way. We should be like signposts. Signposts. Not, not drawing people's attention to us, but pointing people to God, to Jesus, the one who gives us this new life that we have. Does the Lord's message ring out from you. And then fourthly, are you devoted to the service of God? Are you devoted to the service of God? Have a look in the second half of verse 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Turning from idols and turning to God. There's two parts to it. Okay? If I turn away from you and I turn to the back of the church, I've turned from you and I've turned to 
the screen or the pulpit or, or whatever. There's two parts, turning away and turning to. And these Christians in Thessalonica, they were known for having turned away from idols and turned to the living God to serve him. They're now serving this true and living God. They've turned away from their false gods to the true God. And they're known as those who are serving him. We're not sure exactly what that looked like, looks like. It doesn't tell us. But they were certainly known for it. Everyone knew. Now we're unlikely to have an idol in our home, although there are houses around this estate where they do have idols, but there's plenty of things that we have that we can turn into idols. Our gadgets, our cars, our possession, our health, our education, our career. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our affections. Are we turning away from those idols to serve the true and the living God? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. It's like me trying to face you and face there at the same time. You can't do it. And if you try and do it, it's dangerous because you'll end, up, uh, you'll end up going the wrong way and living for the wrong thing. Have you turned from your idols? Does your life show evidence of that? Are you serving the living God? Let me suggest something that you can do each morning. Maybe write it on a piece of paper, put it on your desk or somewhere where you see in the morning How today am I going to turn from idols and serve the living God? And then finally, this morning, are you eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus? You see, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. These Christians were known as those who were waiting for Jesus. A few weeks ago, I went to my school's 150th anniversary. Uh, started in 1868 or 1869, 1868. Uh, but it was the 150th anniversary of the school. And I went down to Bishop Stortford, where I was at school. And um, uh, in the morning, there was a, a service in the uh, memorial hall, which was actually very good. There was some good Bible readings from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not a Christian school, uh, but whoever put the service together, uh, that there were some good things in there. And then in the afternoon, uh, we have tours around the school, and then in the afternoon, we sat on a, uh, a, we're in a marquee on a lawn. It's all very nice. It was a nice school. Um, and, and I sat next to my maths teacher. I happened to have my school reports with me from 40 years ago. Um, and uh, happened to sit next to my maths teacher. And uh, said, oh, let's have a look at what I've written in there. So there's that embarrassing moment of I wonder what he'd put. But anyway, putting that aside, it turns out he was a Christian. And in fact, his brother's daughter is married to a good friend of mine. And I wasn't a Christian then, but it's a great joy in all of that. But one of the things that we did... Uh, during the day in the service in the morning, is we sang our school song. It's an unpublished song by Robert Browning. It's 
irrelevant of what it is, but we sang that. And that marked the end of term. And uh, there in that memorial hall, it just reminded me of my terms at school where at the end of each term we would sing that song. And it marked the end of term. And we'd all be counting down the days, how many days left to the end of term. And then the morning would come and a great excitement amongst us that term was ended and school was out. And then eventually we'd sing the song and that was it. That officially marked the end of term. And most of us, if not all of us, were counting down the days, looking, longing for that day when term ended. But there's something far more significant than the end of term that we should be looking forward to. And that's the return of Jesus. He is coming again, and maybe soon. Are you eagerly awaiting him? Ask yourself this question. When did did I last think about the fact that Jesus is coming again? When did I last encourage someone, someone else by reminding them of that? This book of 1 Thessalonians, in every chapter of the book, all five chapters, read through it and look for them, Paul reminds them that Jesus is coming again. And in the last two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, he tells them to encourage one another and to remind one another that Jesus is coming again. Are you eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus? You see, Paul, as he gives thanks for these Christians and this church, those chosen ones, the in Christ ones, these are the things which he sees in them. These are the things that they notice, that they're imitators of Jesus, that they're joyful in the Spirit, that they're declaring the Lord's message, that they're devoted to service, that they're waiting for Jesus. This is the evidence that they are in Christ. Can I be sure you're a Christian? Paul could be sure about them because everyone could see it. I can't be sure this morning for all of you. Some of you I know and I see that evidence. Some of you I've never met before. Some of you I don't know so well. So let me change the question slightly. Are you sure that you're a Christian? that you're trusting in Christ, that you're in Christ. What I should point you to is the next book in the Bible as well, because 1 Thessalonians speaks of uh, Jesus, the one who rescues us from the wrath which is to come. That's the last phrase that he uses. If you go into the book of 2 Thessalonians, there are more warnings and more challenges that for those who don't know him, there is judgment and punishment and destruction. I don't really like saying it, but it's there in the scriptures, so we have to face up to that. But the Bible tells us that we can know him. And we don't have to face that day of judgment without him. It tells us that we can be sure when we repent when we turn from our sin, when we turn to God and when we trust in Jesus. Jesus, described here as the the beloved son, the one who God raised from the dead. Because before that, 
the one who laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sin to bring us back to God. The one who God raised from the dead after he'd taken the punishment for our sin. The one, and it's the last phrase that we see here in the passage, the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. We have a wonderful saviour. Let me ask the question, does, does your life demonstrate that you are trusting in him and rejoicing in him and right with God? Looking forward to that day when Jesus comes again.